Hey everybody, this is Nick Padiak. You're listening to I'll Be Damned. This week, my guest is Brent Huffman. Brent was a professor of mine at the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern. Uh, I went to, to grad school there, and uh, a little plug for myself here, because why not? This is my podcast. Uh, I made a film when I was there, a short documentary film under the supervision of Brent. Uh, made the film with my, my friend Amy Langdon. Shout out to Amy. Uh, you can find that film on my website. There's a link to it on my website, uh, nicholaspadiak.com. Uh, it's called A Generation Lost in Space, Overeducated and Underemployed in America. Uh, going back to Brent now, uh, Brent has made several documentary films. Uh, during this podcast, he talks about his latest one, which is called Saving Mace Inac. Uh, you can access that website. We give some of the website details during the podcast, but if you want to go check it out now, you can go to savingmaceinac.com. You can also find a link at my website. Uh, Again, that's nicholaspadiak.com. I went to Brent's house for this interview on the the south side of Chicago. We had a great talk. Uh, He was was very nice to invite me in there. Uh, Before you hear that, just a reminder that I am on Twitter at npadiak. And you can also check out my website. Also, if you want to rate the show on iTunes, I would appreciate that. Um, Thanks, as always, to Alex Johnson for the cover art and Matt Pickett for the theme song. So here it is. Enjoy my talk with Brent Huffman. Mm-hmm. Four years, yeah, and uh, the South Side, I think, to me, is the, the best part of Chicago. Why do you think that? Um, you know, I think anything that's sort of unique about the city, I think, takes place. You know, down here, yeah. you see, you've got this. Uh, I think this incredible diversity in, you know, Pilsen and Bronzeville and Hyde Park and University of Chicago. Yeah, yeah, lots of. So, how did you get to Chicago? You grew up in Ohio. Right? Ohio, yeah. Okay, so how did you get from Ohio to Chicago? Take me through that. Um, boy, yeah, it's a long story. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't have the greatest uh, childhood growing up in, in Ohio. So um, I never imagined I'd be back in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of fleed the <laughs> this this area. Um, so I was actually teaching at a um, a college, the the Brooks Institute in Santa Barbara, California. So I was. Uh, over there, um, as far away from as, Ohio as you could get. Yeah, yeah, and Cal, you know, California really felt like home actually. So it was, it was a tough move. I actually moved for this this position at at Northwestern. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, I think um, I don't know how how much detail you went about my feelings about Chicago. You know, you know, Chicago. As as I'm sure you're aware, is just kind of full of problems, to, you know, to me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, moving over from Chicago, just the the level of segregation, uh, you know, and the you know little kids getting shot on the way to school and all that sort of stuff is is really hard to swallow. And I, th- I think I feel it all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a great city for documentary filmmakers mm-hmm. and to teach a class about documentary filmmaking because there's so much just conflict on the surface that's just happening, you know, literally every day. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, you know, I've got I've got two kids now, and it's 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 a difficult city, I think, to raise kids in and um, you know, kind of morally uh, accept. Yeah. So I don't know if you're comfortable talking about this, but you mentioned you had a difficult childhood. Yeah. What do, yeah. What do you mean by that? Um, you know, uh, I grew up in like a, you know, sort of a, a, a poor farming community mm-hmm. and, um, it was just, it was very conservative and very religious and my, my father was that way too. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't have, uh, a good relationship with, with him and mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I, I grew up feeling like a, this constant outsider that, you know, I was, was kind of more maybe you know it was this mutual feeling that I fleed but I also kind of felt forced out you know I kind of felt like I just I just didn't belong um and I think you know the the, the good part of growing up that way is I think I I have this empathy for outsiders and p- people that I feel are sort of um oppressed and and are in a difficult situation um but that's yeah that's sort of what it was gotcha and what you, it was like did you always I mean you strike me as a kind of an artsy obviously you're an artsy yeah. person but like a, a sensitive person that must have been difficult you know to, to grow up in that atmosphere is that what is it that was what made you that yeah 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 no it 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 yeah it was it was really tough you know and I was always interested in you know anthropology and and I used to paint and um it, it was um how to describe this you know I think all my role models actually came from um books you know pe- people I read about which was which was strange like I didn't have any any real role models um, you know around me and you know I can remember I would you know you know I would I would paint these these pictures uh, in you know in art classes in um, in like high school and I would actually um, hide them so I would I would like <laughs> I would like cover them up and bring them home and hide them because I was you know, it was sort of not accepted, and you know, I think uh, um, you know I'd be sort of made fun of, and yeah, yeah at was, home or at home, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was tough. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have siblings? I do. Yeah, I have a younger brother. Okay, and and is he more in the mold of where you grew up, or is he has he followed sort of your path? Um, you know, I think I think things were tough for him. I think he had a sort of a different, a little bit of a different experience, but um. Yeah, I think I think he felt it too. Yeah, she is still in Ohio, but um, um, yeah, I think I think he felt yeah felt it. So, did you leave the first chance you could get like right after high school, right after you graduated? You split. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I didn't I didn't get too far. I actually went to um, Antioch in in Ohio. Okay. Um, and then uh, grad school, I finally I went to Berkeley. I, sort of escaped the, the Midwest <laughs> for a little while, but now, you know, now, now I'm back. Yeah, it pulls you back in. It pulls yeah. you back in, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you went to Berkeley for uh, documentary film? Yes, yeah, at the, at the journalism school. Okay, yeah. and so when did, how did you get into that? Did you always know that that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, uh, yeah sort of. So, um, you know, like I said, growing up, I was really interested in painting and anthropology, so this sort of visual art form and um, sort of the, the study of culture. So mm-hmm. documentary was kind of the combination of um, these two things, this, this uh, you know, visually aesthetic medium that, um, you know, gets, gets close to people, examines them, gets, gets close to, to culture. And then, um, you know, like I said, I, I have this 
this sort of deep interest in, you know, these untold stories about people that I feel are, you know, victimized or oppressed or, um, you know, have stories to tell that wouldn't get told any, any other way. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also a very sort of, uh, sort of shy with, you know, reserved person and documentary is kind of a way to get into people's lives in a way that I, <laughs> you know, I, I never would otherwise, right. you know? So like, let's say, um, right now I'm really interested in, um, journalists in, in Yemen that are working in really horrendous, you know, situation, you know, mm-hmm. this horrendous situation. And there would be, there's no sort of pathway for me to sort of meet them and get close <laughs> to them other than, you know, to make a documentary. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, the, the, the process is actually the most appealing to me. You know, the fact that there's a created film, I think is, is great, but <laughs> it's, it's really the, the, the making it that I, uh, that I think is so exciting. Yeah, and so I, that's funny. I kind of relate to that uh, I, in the way of I, you want to get to know more about something, but kind of having that camera is in front of you. It, yeah, it's, it's a way of you can ask the questions that you that you wouldn't normally ask. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that I'm doing this actually. Yeah. Is like I, if we're just out for coffee, I'm not going to be asking you these kinds of questions. Yeah. you know, and and really digging in. But but with this recording device in front of me, <laughs> it's like it gives you that sort of. Superpower, of right? It's like this, I can do whatever I want. This magical tool, yeah, yeah. where you can go into strangers' homes and yeah. and yeah, ask them intimate questions. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and so you know, sometimes I really feel it. You know, I do these a lot of these international stories, but I really feel like you know, I I really have no business being <laughs> being here or being a part of this. You know, other than you know, I, I've got the I've got the camera. Yeah, yeah. So were you like, um, did you have like a a camera when you were a kid and you were shoving it into people's faces like did you develop in, as a filmmaker in that way uh sort of yeah as i actually um um again my 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 family had a, a um one of the you know first iterations of uh, of, of a video camera and the um big giant ones it was a big yeah it was a big a big giant one yeah and i actually made um I would make these experimental, like these black and white experimental films um, that are sort of really embarrassing to, to look at now. Fiction films? They, yeah, they, they were actually fiction films, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, so it took, it took a while to, to get, sort of get exposed to, to documentary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what was your exposure to documentary growing up in, in rural Ohio? Was it just like the big, whatever the big documentary films were at that time? Or, or Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you remember this in, in the doc class, but it was actually uh, The Times of Harvey Milk I saw. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw, so I didn't see, obviously I didn't see it when it came out, but I saw, um, you know, a screening of it in a, in a theater. Mm-hmm. And that really was the, was what what did it. Um, uh, you know, I, I think... Uh, in a lot of the ways that I described, it was it was this story of, you know, Harvey Milk, this this voice of, of outsiders, really, you know, this this person, you know, fighting for human rights, fighting for equality, and then you know, gets gets tragically and senselessly murdered, you yeah. know, over it, um, and I think the film, uh, you know, really, I, I talk about this in the doc class, like it really it it really moved me. I had this really visceral experience where. I watched, you know, watched the film in a darkened theater, um, you know, left, you know, went to the parking lot, sat in my car and actually just wept uncontrollably, you know, um, you know, after seeing this. So I think that was sort of a lesson to me that, 
um, you know, the documentary medium was more than just um, this physical, you know, storytelling method. You know, it, it could be um, this experience. It could be this thing that could actually change, mm -hmm. um, change people, um, and you know, certainly give them this extremely powerful emotional response that I really think no, maybe no other medium is, is quite capable of, mm -hmm. um, of doing that. So that, that was kind of the thing that, that sold me. Um, I think before that I, I had the same maybe stereotypes about documentary that, um, it's what you watch in school. It's yeah. That, that you watch. It's what you watch in school. It's, it's, it's boring. And, um, you know, um, it's it's something different than like a Hollywood film, but I think I think Times of Harvey Milk sh sort of showed me documentary can kind of take the best of Hollywood storytelling and and kind of use it to reach wide audiences in like I said in this really powerful way. So I think that that sold me, you yeah. know. Yeah. And on so the form. how soon after that did you start in earnest making making documentary films? Um, you know, uh, right away, <laughs> actually. Yeah. So. Um, uh, uh, and actually, I, you know, I, 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 as an undergrad, I, I, um, uh, I, you know, it was a film program, so it was, it was fiction and documentary, but I right away kind of gravitated toward documentary. Um, and one of the first, um, sort of short films I made was, um, about, um, homeless people living in this park in, in, um, Dayton, Ohio, um. Uh, and I actually uh, spent, you know, spent the night in the park with them. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the one of the first nights I was there, um, I actually filmed one of, you know, a, a black homeless person being beat, beaten up by um, five white police officers. Wow. And how uh, old were you? How, I was maybe ni 19. Okay. After high school? Yeah. So okay. yeah, after, after high school. Yeah. So it took, it took me a while to get yeah. to... Um, get into documentary filmmaking, yeah. um, but that was a really sort of powerful experience to to watch it. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, actually, like held these these five white police officers hold this guy down and are just wailing on him for yeah. for for no reason that I could see. I could sort of caught just this sort of this sort of arrest in the tail end of it. Um, and then I actually tried to use, you know, I, I got the video to this this person. This person eventually got a, a lawyer, mm -hmm. um, and tried to get it to, to sort of help them. Um, so it was it was partly this, I think, um, this bigger experience that that pulled me into, you know, using not not only you know um, this idea that when you when you go out and, and sort of embed yourself into a story, things happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that was kind of a. Um, a you know, an eye-opening experience that, you know, right away sleeping out in this park, this, these kind of amazing things happen right in front of my eyes, which I thought was um, was amazing. But also that, you know, documentary can be a way to um, help people and sort of have an impact on the, the, the subjects that you're that you're filming. And it, it, in the end, it didn't help this this person, you know, partly because, um, you know, it was kind of an education on the 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 police force and the camaraderie <laughs> within the police force. Um, um, but, you know, I really tried. Yeah. So this is something that I'd like to touch on. We might as well do it now. You seem like you're mostly interested in, I, I guess, social justice as yes, a sort yeah. of an umbrella. Yeah. And so 
obviously you you did your part in a in a way you know by filming this and then and then offering up the footage later as as a, as a testimony what do you feel as you're behind the camera and you're watching this what responsibility do you feel yeah. to step in at, and at what point oh so do you mean to, to stop sort of stop what yeah, was happening you know, you yeah yeah so that that's a great question and you know i think um that's that situation you know the, the police saw me and it didn't make a, a difference so so <laughs> so um, you stepping and, in isn't going to make a difference well, you, you know I, I don't know i mean um you know, then I was much, obviously, much younger and maybe yeah. uh, unsure of kind of what yeah. the, the... And there's five of them. Yeah. yeah and there's, at a certain point, what are you going to do? And it's fi- And I was really afraid that they would that they would take the footage or make me, er- er- you know, erase the, erase the tape. So mm-hmm. I kind of felt like I, I had to get the tape, you know, sort of a- away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a period where, you know, um, I would get these hang-up phone calls in the middle of the night. Um, and I was, I was, you know, getting more and more paranoid that there was some kind of sort of awareness of what I was doing and yeah. maybe maybe retribution. Um, Tied to that specific... Maybe, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was it was a weird... It was a weird uh, period. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I, I, I think that, that maybe was a starting point where I, I did feel um, uh, that, that I definitely have an, an obligation to, you know... If if not, you know, physically help someone in the moment, that that certainly the the end result, you know, has to be, uh, you know, not necessarily a vehicle to help them, but the, the impact has to be positive um, mm-hmm. uh, on their lives. And you know, I, I think there's there's sort of a, a dual thing here. You know, one, it should help them, but but two that. The, the finished product should be finished in time to to actually help them and that's sometimes difficult with documentary as they take years to make mm-hmm. um, and I, I really felt that with the the, the saving me sign act this this piece I did in Afghanistan mm-hmm. um, about this essentially um, Afghan archaeologists fighting to protect a ancient um, uh, Buddhist city before it's destroyed by this Chinese copper mine and it was really important that in that case that if if the film i was making um you know wouldn't be released in time for the the site to be the site to be saved um that and this is sort of what i what i did that you know i i made sort of shorter versions of the film and i appeared on you know cnn a couple times and wrote stories about it and and really tried to um kind of do my part to raise awareness to, to you know try to save save the site with the fear that my film would kind of come out you know when, when it was too late and yeah. I think that that to me um, um, would would be sort of this this failure on my part that um, I you know that you know I think the, the film is not just sort of a you know this art form but it should be it should be a way to help the, the subjects of the film mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah I mean I, on that same on that same note though you know I often make there's there's kind of this double-edged sword like I make these films about um, like I said these these untold stories these outsiders um, these you know potentially oppressed people mm-hmm. um, you know c- kind of fighting back kind of doing incredible things 
but there's a there's a risk of of telling their stories in that I'm also I'm putting them out there like I'm putting their faces out there and um, in this in this Afghan film um, so the film um, aired on um, well, the the central character of the film is this Afghan archaeologist that's very passionate and very um, um, emotional about um, saving his history and wanting a better future for Afghanistan obviously the country has seen you know over 30 decades you know over 30 years you know three decades of constant war yeah. and um, you know uh, Afghan people are um, really desperate for you know a, a better future and want this sense of sense of hope um, and in the film he's pushing back against the Taliban pushing back against the, the Chinese company pushing back um, you know against um, you know Western money and Western sort of forces so kind of this this kind of perfect storm of all of these um, things trying to just sort of destroy the site and this one person's kind of you know doing the impossible pushing back against it um, and, and being very you know honest on camera um, well one of the things that happened was um, that you know the film airs on European TV it aired on Al Jazeera English and Al Jazeera America when it played on Al Jazeera English, the Taliban watched it, watched, watches the film. Um, and then they used the film to attack this subject. Oh. Um, yeah, so they, they, you can sort of see the, 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 the difficult situation. So, yeah. you know, they, they see the film and then they directly threaten, you know. And, and this, um, Kadir is his name, he had been threatened by the Taliban before. But basically, in this instance, they, 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 they basically say, we saw you on TV mm-hmm. talking about saving Buddhist archaeology. And, and um, they basically said, you know, we're going to kill you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tried, you know, he uh, reached out to me sort of saying, you got you to gotta help me. So we sort of started this process to try to get him out of the country. Um, and it was unsuccessfully, you know, I, you know, I think that the Taliban is now sort of um, lost interest in in him. I hope. I That's think good. so. Um, but you know, it was it, it was this terrible situation where you know um, it almost seemed like you know what if my film that I tried to to make to do good actually kills this person? Yeah. You know, and I I, I certainly would feel um, you know a hundred percent responsible yeah. for for what happened. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah. So that's 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 you know that's that's the kind of double-edged sort of you know, you want to spread awareness, you want to get it out there in the biggest possible way, but then there are these sort of unseen, you know, ramifications. I think the the good news is the site hasn't been destroyed and I think um you know that the the Afghan government has been receptive to the message of the film, but the the bad news is is, you know, like I said it it kind of puts everyone that speaks in the film in this, you know, difficult, precarious situation. Right. Um, so it's tough. Do- you know, documentary filmmaking can be this can of worms. Yeah. So where where do you stand? Where does that stand now, Mason? You you've I, I read up on it. You there's like a kind of a stay of execution I guess for lack of a better term yes yeah yeah uh, which is good which is good news um, you know the, the bad news is there's such um, turnover in the Afghan government so even in the process of making the film there, there were three minister, uh, minister of mines 
um, basically overseeing the project. So, you know, um, one was fired for taking a bribe from the Chinese. The other was sort of um, stepped down for a similar, you know, there wasn't quite a, a direct, um, you know, link between uh, him and corruption, but he sort of stepped down. And now there's a new minister of mines. And this new person, I think, initially um, was sort of critiquing the Chinese deal for um, lack of transparency. There was a lot of promises made. And it's, it's an awful, awful deal with, the, with this Chinese government-owned company. Um, and he was really sort of vocal about that, that it's, that it's bad for Afghanistan. He's, he's since completely changed his tune and is now pushing for mining to start. Um, and you can see, you know, it, it's not... It's not um, it's not all the ministry's fault. There's a lot of pressure, I think, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of kind of false hope that um, mining will save the country. Um, there's supposedly $3 trillion of natural resources. Wow. There's you know, lithium and copper and gold and diamonds and um, oil in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. um, but with the, you know, with the level of corruption and just how these sort of deals play out and the level of you know, let's say you don't care about an ancient Buddhist city, um, there will be tremendous environmental destruction. Mm. Um, uh, so to me, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's really, you know, the Chinese company would get this valuable copper that's worth, you know, potentially $100 billion. Some corrupt Afghan official, officials would make off with whatever, you know, money they could. Um, the Chinese company brings its brings its, in its own employees to work. So ch basically, Chinese will work the copper mine, mm -hmm. um, and and really Afghan citizens will see no benefit. Right. Um, and 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 in fact, they'll see the, the the ramifications of you know an enormous open pit mining site, which is just a, a, you know a toxic crater. Yeah. Um, so that that's part of the film too. Is is, is kind of breaking breaking these myths that, um, you know, the, the mining industry will, and the, you know, this Chinese company will be the savior of Afghanistan and really showing um, what's, at, what's at stake for the, for the country and kind of going down this, this path. So what role are you playing now that the film is, is completed and is, yeah. is being distributed? Are you, are you talking with these officials? Do you have anything to do with it at this point, or is it... You've done your part. You've done as much as you can. Uh, no, so you know, I think it's it's never that it's never that situation, or, or I never sort of feel that way where, you know, um, you can sort of walk away and say, I, I've um, thanks for the footage, right? Yeah, <laughs> and I've, yeah, right. I've I've I finished and I'm moving on. I mean, it's it's sort of never that way, especially like I said, you know, the site's just as threatened now as it mm -hmm. as it ever was. Um, you know. It, it, it's kind of so the you know the the Ministry of Mines is never going to set up a meeting with me or or ask my opinion and mm -hmm. certainly this Chinese company there's no reason that they would want to hear my my opinion I think the um the 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 push to save the site's kind of got to come from everyone else so you know I, I showed the film in Washington D.C. where there's you know a, a lot of young. Um, Afghans working for you know embassies and working within the government, mm -hmm. and I think um, the the support for the site kind of is is, is got to be more grassroots and come from people like that kind of pushing back against mm -hmm. um, against these sort of you know bigger powers. Um, 
but it's you know but it's difficult uh, and the film is not this miracle fix but I, I think it has been enormously successful in raising awareness you know um, pushing back as much as as much as as much as possible yeah um, it, you know in the end it, it is it is going to be the Afghan government's decision mm-hmm. um, but when I you know when I first started to to make this film I think there was this disbelief that you know there's a there's just sort of these these dusty old broken ruins that nobody cares about and you know there was this feeling like you know we could destroy this site and no one's going to know and no one's no one's going to care yeah you know um and then the, the you know the 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 bigger kind of um no one's going to care about the site and maybe no one's no one's going to care about um you know the environment of Logar province being permanently destroyed there are um um uh, um, rivers and, and you know aquif- aquifers that would be polluted by this this mine that run into you know into Kabul that run into the Pakistan, um, you know the environmental ramifications would be enormous. Yeah. No one can ever live in this area again. And then this the toxic runoff is going to potentially you know permanently destroy you know um, the, the water supply for millions of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and there was also this this feeling that no one's going to care about that either. You know. Yeah. Everyone's just going to care about the the bottom line. We could make, you know, potentially you know almost three billion dollars from this this deal. And the the Chinese this Chinese government-owned company was promising all kinds of things: infrastructure and schools and roads. No, none of which ever ever happened. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I think the the film has been successful at least sort of popping that bubble of all of these kind of myths around. Um, the the benefits of this and and I think um, has has educated people about um, the rich culture of, of Afghanistan, you know, and has documented the the you know this incredible effort to save the site and the sort of discoveries of, of the site. So the, the the fight to save it never ends, you know. Uh, um, uh, so I think I'll, I'll continue to you know. Write about this. Talk. Talk about this. Do. Do all I can. Um, uh, you know. F- um, uh, for the. For the site. Um, I can't remember where I was. Where I, was going with it. <laughs> I think. I think that. I think that sort of. Uh, sort of answers the answers yeah, answers the question. So this is, um, th- this just from what I know about you is you know you were my teacher for for several months and I know you're you're. Uh, passions in in filmmaking this yeah. seems like it's just like a dream project for you I mean it's got everything it's got you know you you've got the social justice aspect it's it seems very verite focused yeah uh, how did you stumble upon this this is it's like it's a dream uh, project yeah it depends it's it, right it depends how you look at it like my wife would probably argue it's a nightmare well yeah <laughs> nightmare project um, and and it's it's interesting, you know. I think what what separates, you know, documentary filmmakers from maybe amateurs that want to do this is just this tenacity to not give up, even though everything tells you to to give up. Mm-hmm. And this was that kind of film, actually, where, um, you, you know, the the archaeological site is in the middle of Taliban country, like it's extremely difficult to access, and and then you know, obviously, you're you're putting your life at risk every time you're kind of traveling there and then because of you know 
China's um, enormous financial um, resources and, and, and power, you know, it, the topic is very controversial um, in a lot of surprising ways. So this kind of translates to no one wants to be on camera talking about this, yeah. um, uh, you know, which obviously is the, is the the Chinese company, which I eventually get access to, but was extraordinarily difficult. Um, you know, surprisingly, the the you know U.S. embassy did not want me to make this film, and yeah. was maybe the biggest obstacle. Surprising, wow. <laughs> surprisingly, more than the Taliban, more than the Chinese company. Um, you know. Uh, they were they were probably the 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 ones that um, most actively tried to stop me from from making the film and actually sp- spread the word um, to everyone affiliated you know with them to not speak to me on on camera. Wow. Yeah, um, which was a big surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, in, in addition to security threats and just the difficulty working in Afghanistan, it, I had this. You know the difficulty of, um, you know, as you know in, in documentary, if someone doesn't appear on camera, it's like they don't exist in the the <laughs> world that you're that you're making. Which, right. you know, if you were writing a piece, you can kind of write your way around it mm-hmm. and and still flesh out the, um, you know, flesh out the story, flesh out the world. But in documentary, it's it's just kind of like, you know, they're they're just not they're just not there, and yeah. um, you can't really you know, ask your audience to, you know, use your imagination or um, read this, read this text description or something, you know, they they really got to be in the, in the film. Um, So, um, yeah, making, making the film was really, really sort of difficult in, in that way. And there was also the sense if, you know, if I was killed over there, that the film would also kind of cease to be like, there's no one that could sort of pick it up and finish it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it was more of a, you know, an, an extremely <laughs> difficult situation though. I, I have to be honest. I think those are the kind of stories that, especially the older I get that I'm attracted to yeah. the ones that, you know, um, like in the May Sinek piece, you know, people would literally tell me this, this film cannot be made. Or they would say there's not a story here and no one's going to give you access. And, and, you know, also that no one cares. I was yeah. told over and over. Nope, nobody cares about this. Do do yeah. something else. That just raise your hackles. They'll <laughs> show you who cares. It did, and it, you know, it, I think as journalists, as documentary filmmakers, you know, we, you can't tell a journalist you can't cover this story, or you can't you can't tell this um, this story. I think we should feel like we, we should feel this obligation that that's exactly what we should be focused on. Right. Um, you know, and that's that's the same. Some of the new projects I'm interested in are this, does the same appeal, um, like this. This uh, I'm working on a film in Pakistan now, and I, I mentioned this film. I'm interested in Yemen. Like in, in Yemen, you you can't get a visa. Like the situation is so bad on the on the ground, um, so dangerous. There are like, you know, I was told, you know, at least five different groups that would want to kidnap you for different reasons. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, and there's, there's groups that would be better if they, they kidnapped you and <laughs> as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, other groups. Um, um, but I, for whatever reason, I'm attracted to those stories and, and I think I'm really attracted to tr- trying to 
find a way to, to tell the, the story, you know, with these just sort of obstacles yeah. everywhere. So how do you choose your projects? I, I mean, how do you even hear about them? And yeah. do you, how, did the, how does the idea germinate and then turn into a film? Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, um, how, to, how to describe this? You know, I think there are, uh, not to give you a, a really long or strange answer, but I think this, this sort of, this sort of, I, I read this once, that there's three types of people. There's the, the intellectual, the emotional, and then the, the physical mm-hmm. types, of, types of people. Um, and their, their uh, reasons to do things are, are sort of tied to those, that, that core yeah. you know, belief. So that the physical person is, is usually uh, the, the, the athletes you know, um, that I think could, could do things that non-athletes couldn't do. Sure. Um, the intellectual is the, sort of the, um, the, you know, the, the person that can, can appear on Jeopardy and just kind of, <laughs> kind of rattle off and, and, and have this enormous capacity for, um, you know, I think, um, you know, recall and, and just sort of like a sponge that absorbs things. I'm the emotional type of type of person, so at its core, there's there's this emotional reason why I want to do something, and like I said, it's often tied to this sense of, um, um, you know, human rights. There's there's some kind of uh, tragic, you know, uh, in the story of in, in the in the Yemen example, um, Yemen basically became as bad as Syria in a, in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm really inspired by like like in the Afghan Afghan film subjects then that you know um, are part of this oppressed kind of victimized group, but that instead of just sort of you know laying down and letting the oppressors sort of um, kill them and take everything, they they fight back like they 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 do the impossible even though or they attempt the impossible even though. There's no chance that they can succeed, or you know, um, at least all the odds are against them. So in Yemen, I'm really interested in these these Yemeni journalists that are, you know, reporting on what's happening in their in their country and posting it online and, and trying to spread spread the word, even though you know they're being kidnapped, they're being killed, mm-hmm. they're also in a situation where they don't have. They don't have access to food or drinking water. I mean, imagine you, like you know, um, you know your your country's falling apart. Your family members being are being killed. You know, you're under this um, oppressive government, and you just then you decide to do journalism. You know, yeah. <laughs> like like it's incredible. So you know, I think um, you know s- stories like that. People trying to do you know amazing but impossible things in this kind of, you know, human rights vein. And that, that kind of goes back to the, the Harvey Milk example, too. Like, yeah. um, you know, um, fighting, fighting for rights of people when it seems like the whole world is against you. And then, you know, in that example, you know, you know ultimately being, being killed right. tragically, you know, for it. Um, yeah, but I think at, at its core, there's this, there's this emotional resonance more, more than anything else. Gotcha. And so, as an as a as that kind of emotional person, you're working on subjects that are difficult emotionally. Sometimes, yes, yeah. And so, how does that affect you personally as you're making the film and after? 
Yeah, boy, that's that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, the the emotional, you know, um, I think ramifications are are enormous. You know, and I think, um, you know, they they do sort of take a take a permanent toll. Um, like, I mean, I think I I was just because of my childhood, I was always sort of this kind of damaged person <laughs> um already so it's not like it, it's not like um i think it'd be different if i if i grew up in this kind of happy place yeah. where i didn't i think I, I grew up in this kind of op oppressive terrible place so mm -hmm. it, it's kind of you know it's kind of like um uh you know, I can relate to these situations, even though obviously I didn't grow up in Yemen. Like I didn't, there was nothing like sort of that level of um, um, uh, of sort of that level of uh, kind of tragedy happening to me. You know, certainly not. But I, I think I've got points where I can sort of relate to it. Um, but I do think, you know, it, it affects your worldview. You know, I have, I have nightmares all the time about stuff that I've seen or you know, things that have, things that have happened. Um, and I do sort of see the world, you know, uh, in kind of this black and white Marxist sort of way of, you know, I, um, I see oppression before I see other things, you know, like it, it's almost like, you know, I've, you know, it's almost like I sort of have these blinders on where I, I see the world in a very, you know, specific way where I, I see, um, I see the, the the terrible thing before I see, before I see, um, anything else. Yeah. yeah. How does that affect your your personal life with, with your family? I mean, you said you have nightmares, but does it manifest itself in any other? Way? You know, I, I think I think it. You know, it. I think it probably does. You know, like I'm I'm, you know, sort of the the Debbie Downer kind of <laughs> kind of personality that, and I don't I don't mean to be. It's just it's just, um, you know. You know, like it's, I think, especially in the United States, we live in this kind of bubble where, um, you know, I think we live, and especially like in Chicago, where, you know, basically you've got, um, you know, areas of Chicago where it's, you know, potentially more dangerous than Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, yeah. like, like, you know, people ask me, how could you go to, how, how could you, you know, go to these dangerous places, but really, we you li we live in a city where it's maybe more dangerous, you know, in Inglewood than it is in Kabul. Right. You know, and then you have little kids going through, you know, living their lives um, more traumatized by what's happening than soldiers in Iraq, which is boy, it's just like mind blowing. Yeah. So, like to me, it's it's really hard to be like, um, you know, to um, live in this in this kind of fake American bubble where we, we're, we're kind of, I think there's this pressure to uh, ignore those, those, those things. And, um, and I think that's, that's something I'm just not capable of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of doing. Um, do you think that, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, but do you think that making these sorts of films helps you deal with that in some way? Like you see I, something and you're like, I need to do something about it. I do, yeah, right. There's exactly, yeah. There's something cathartic about, um, yeah, definitely 
not not only being close to being close to something, but in some small way, yeah, trying trying to help. Mm-hmm. And I do think, you know, um, w- you know, w- w- with what's happening in Syria, I do feel, even though this is going to sound ridiculous, I, I do feel sort of responsible in some way that, that this is happening, and I'm not doing anything yeah. to to stop it. And um, you know, there there's a great um, uh, Horace Mann um, quote, who was actually uh, the, the founder of uh, uh, Antioch University, and, and the quote is, um, uh, "Be ashamed to die until you've won some victory for humanity." Mm-hmm. Um, and that sounds very sort of serious, I guess. But <laughs> uh, um, I really feel that. Like I feel like if you you sort of spend your life and you don't work to help others, or you don't um, use whatever power and influence that you do have as an American to um, to help other people, then what is what was your life for? You know, and and I and I at least personally feel that that sort of shame that I don't do more. You know, it feels like you know even with this May Sinek film, it it, it does feel like it, it wasn't enough. You know, it um, yeah, that there's this 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 weight and burden. I feel like you know eating at me like you you didn't do you didn't do enough you didn't you know um you know like i i I tweet about what's happening in syria or yemen but what is what is that that's not enough you know i'm not you know you're not um stopping what's what's happening and i i do feel like um you know you know in the west how could we how could we have let Syria happen? Yeah, I think we did. We let it, you know, sort of like this this modern Holocaust that we all just kind of stood by and watched happen. And I, I think we'll we'll pay for that as you know as human beings. I think. Yeah. Eventually. Well, do you ever just let yourself <laughs> you look at your film and say, "I did a good job," and I, 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 you know, I did help, even if you don't think it was enough. Do you ever give yourself that, not congratulations, but that sort of respite from this? Feeling? Um, you know, sometimes in small ways, you know, like when I when I do screenings and people come up to me and say, like, you know, I've I've never heard about this before, and um, one thing that the film does is it shows. It's told from the Afghan perspective, mm-hmm. um, and that really doesn't doesn't exist. Like you know, um, uh, you know, like I said, growing up in Ohio, um, the stereotypes about the the Middle East or about any foreign country, you know, were, were really terrible. Yeah. But like the stereotypes of you know uh, Afghans and Afghanistan, growing up in Ohio, were you know as simplistic as you know everyone that lives there is a terrorist right. like literally like that's where the terrorists live or the terrorists live there and they live in Syria and they live in you know uh, Iraq and yeah. like you'd go there and you know everyone you'd meet is a, yeah. a terrorist or or is like a, a victim of terrorism like is a crying you know mother holding their dead infant or something but these very shallow sort of sort of stereotypes and uh you know I think in, in some small way, I, I think that's a, a positive about the about the film is that, you know, it 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 breaks those stereotypes and then it shows, um, you know, these very intelligent, capable, amazing people 
um, uh, you know, working to save their own um, their own heritage, their own their own country. And I think in that in that way, that those sort of that success was very important to you know important to me. You know, I think the Afghans are this you know n not to speak in stereotypes, but this this incredible you know. Um, uh, this incredible people that is is very warm and is very um, uh, you know are, are these just sort of incredible incredible people and I, I hope in some in some small way my my film you know shows that and does does some part to to you know to help tell that story yeah well I think it has just judging from the reaction that it's gotten i hope so yeah yeah, yeah. well how can people uh see the film and how can they reach you and, and see what you're doing and all, and all of that can you just tell people how to how to contact you sure sure so to see uh to see the film actually um uh, uh icarus uh is the distributor so um uh you know i, I could give you links or some or something yeah and so, i'll post those yeah yeah so you can you can see the film um that way, it's uh, it hopefully will be broadcast again. So it it just was broadcast on Al Jazeera America here, which just went under, you know, and and I think maybe no one no one no one saw it on Al Jazeera America, <laughs> um, uh, but I, you know I'm sure it'll be it'll be broadcast um, again for for um, people living outside of the country. Actually, you can um, you can rent it, you could you could stream it and view it view it online, um, but right now that yeah through the um, the only way to see it here is through through the, this distributor or when it's when it's broadcast again. Gotcha. And is there a website that people can go to to, to donate and everything? Yes. Yeah. So uh, savingmesignac.com is kind of the hub for everything that links to social media, links to the the official petition. Yeah, you could you could donate to the archaeologist directly through the site. Okay. Yeah. And it's saving Maysignac, M E S A Y N A K. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right, cool. Yes. Thank you very much. For great. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank yeah, you for doing this. This was great.